Okay, I'm on. Hi, right, we're on. We're good. So we're going to keep our series going in the book of Ephesians that we call Belong, about what it looks like to belong to God and also to belong to His people, uh, what we call the church, uh, the family of God. So uh, Will did a great job last week of transitioning us. So we reached a transition point in this letter, which was chapter 4, where it basically goes from this is what it means to how you belong, of how you belong to God, uh, what Christ has done for you, and what it means that because of His work on the cross, by faith in that, you belong to His family. And then now it transitions to, now how do you live in light of that belonging? How does it change your life? So we're going to continue that theme going. And the title that I have for tonight is just, is, is really the, is, is the two points of my sermon. It's, it's a talk. It's living a transformed life among a transformed people. So I'm going to read it. It's Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. So it's kind of long. And uh, then I'll pray and we'll dive in, okay? So uh, read with me. It'll be on the screen. And this is uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul writing. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, into righteousness and holiness. Then he says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgetting one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word to us. Uh, thank you for just the, just the, the, the opportunity to pause to, to take a moment and to reflect on our lives, on what it means to belong to you, and what it means to live in light of that belonging. I pray that, that, that you would help us learn how to better live like this uh, for our own flourishing, for your glory, and for, for, the, for the flourishing of our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, um, you know, uh, if, if, uh, if we'll say this, say, say what, if an, what if somebody were to walk in these doors right now or an alien were to come from outer space and they were to ask you, what are you guys doing here? What, what is this? And you say, well, this is youth group. And they say, what is youth group? And, and they say, you say, well, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're Christians and we're trying to figure out what a Christian is and we're teenagers and we gather on Wednesday nights to, to do this thing. And then uh, they say to you, well, what's a Christian? You say, well, a Christian is somebody who believes these things about Jesus and about uh, who God is and what it means to, to go to heaven. And then the, the person would ask you, well, well, how do Christians live? 
How would you answer that? How, how do Christians live? What does it look like to be a Christian? Not just to believe as a Christian, but to, to be a Christian. Have you ever thought about that? How would you answer that question for yourself? How would you explain what people call the ethic of Christianity uh, to someone else? Uh, you know, there are a lot of approaches, a lot of answers uh, that, that you can use the scriptures for. Ephesians 4 is a great one. That's why I ask you this. But, you know, there's a lot of wrong approaches that we have to Christianity, right? There's a lot, a lot, of, a lot of misunderstandings about what we believe it to be a Christian and what it means to answer the question that I asked to explain the Christian life. Uh, one of those is, and this is the, the three things here, right? Uh, is I call the I wear the jersey Christianity. And I've used this illustration over and over again. I use different sports teams, right? But if I were to tell you that I played for the Cincinnati Reds and I had a jersey, right? Because you can buy jerseys and put your last name on it and put the number 10. I had a jersey and I wore it. It said Shrimpton 10. And I said, yeah, I play for the Reds. I'm the starting shortstop. You're like, whoa, cool. Hey, guess what? I'm at the starting shortstop in who plays for the Reds. And you turn on the Reds and somebody else is playing shortstop. And you look at the bench and I'm not on there and... And, and you look at the roster on the internet, and there's no, there's no Eric Shrimpton on there, right? What would, you, what would you assume? That I don't play for the Reds, right? I have the jersey, but I'm not on the team. And that's how a lot of people approach Christianity. You, you, you wear the jersey, right? You know enough about it where you can, you can answer the questions. Or that you behave in such a way that you think that Christians would behave. So on the outside, you look like what you think a Christian may look like. But on the inside, underneath the jersey... You really don't. That your, your, your life or, or the jersey you may, you may wear may, may people think that you're a Christian, but deep down you don't, you don't care about God. You don't really believe in Him. You're just doing this to appease your parents or to look good in front of other people or whatever it may be, right? This is what I call the I wear the jersey Christian. Or maybe you're a chameleon, right? Maybe you, you do believe and there's an honest belief, but your belief really doesn't change you, right? It isn't, it, it's not really, you just kind of, whoever you're interacting with is who you become, right? You're a chameleon. You just adopt yourself to your surroundings. That's what I mean by being a, a chameleon Christian, is that there's really no difference between you and somebody else who doesn't believe, except that you think that you do, and you just kind of adapt to your surroundings like a chameleon. Or maybe you're, you're this is, I made this one up myself, you know, Jesus is my personal trainer, Christianity. And what do I mean by that? Well, this is what I mean by that. Uh, maybe this isn't a great phrase, but this is how I think of it in my head, right? That, that, that Jesus isn't your Savior, He's just your helper, right? That, that He's just there for you when you need Him to be, uh, to make your life better, to make you more fit, to make you look better in front of other people. Um, it's an image thing, right? You, you just, he's your personal trainer to make you look better um, or fix something about you that you don't like to give you better biceps or triceps or whatever it may be, right? In, in, in this approach, Really, you are the Lord of your own life, right? You are, you are Jesus in your own life, but the, the real Jesus just kind of exists as a means to your own self-exaltation, right? To make yourself look better. These are, these are three really common approaches that people have to what they believe Christianity to be. But, but, but all of these are, are wrong approaches to what it means to know God, to know Jesus, and to live as a Christian, and what Ephesians 4, what we just read, it explains to us, it tells us, now that you believe in this person called Jesus, this is now how you should behave. Because of what you believe, because your heart has been changed, because Jesus means something to you, and you want to devote your life to Him because of what He has done for you, 
This is how you are, therefore, to live your life. It shows us the right approach to the Christian life. Not the approach that saves you, but the approach that because you are saved, the kind of person that Jesus, by His work, by His Spirit, through His Word, is transforming you into. So what does it mean to live a transformed life and live among a transformed people? Well, let me go back through here, right? So to live a transformed life, there are two things that Paul talks about. Something to put off and something to put on. He starts off with this, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Paul mentions in the first three chapters of Ephesians that God is reconciling all things together through Christ and to Christ, which includes us people. And for those who have been united to Christ, this unity, this faith, this belief changes how you are to live. And the summary phrase of that is that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then he goes through this list of things that, you, that Gentiles are and what it means to be a Gentile, to be a person who does not belong to God is what that means. And he talks about things like, let's look at this, uh, uh, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, right? Um, that the, the, that they, they, they think in such a way that is useless or pointless. Uh, they, they live in the dark or they're blind, right? That's what it says there. And they are darkened in their understanding, right? Um, that they have this, this willful suspicion uh, that, uh, that God doesn't exist and they don't live in light of it. Uh, it says that they... Um, uh, they have hardness of heart, right? That their heart is like a, like a concrete wall that you just can't penetrate. It's hard. It's unchangeable, right? People who live as though they don't belong to God, they're the God of their own life. There's nothing that can penetrate their heart. There's nothing that can change them. They truly believe that they're okay and they don't need Jesus. They don't need the help of somebody else. They don't need anything else. They have a heart that is hard and that is impenetrable, 19, they become callous, which is some, some similar kind of language, right? Y'all know what calluses are. I used to play guitar. And when I had calluses on my fingers, I could play guitar better because I couldn't feel it, right? They, they're, 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 they're incapable of emotion. They're incapable of empathy. They're incapable of understanding the human condition and what it means to be person. And they don't have kindness or gentleness or humility. They... 19, they become, they have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity, right? They, 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 they live an impulsive life. That's what that summarizes to, to mean. It's saying that those who don't belong to God, who don't have an eternal view of life, live for the moment. There's an anxiousness. Just, just imagine, right, that there was no heaven, that there was no eternity, and all you had was right now. You would live a very anxious life. Right? You, you try, to, try to do everything you can to make yourself comfortable, to, to escape pain, to have whatever you, that you could have. You live a very impulsive life because you have no eternal view. That's what that means. You live impulsively and you live in such a way that your impulsivity creates um, hurt and pain for you and for others. He's saying, put off those things. Why? Because that's a life of sin, a life that's consumed with self and not devoted to God to put these things off and to put something on. And it says this, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Learned Christ. 
That's where he starts, knowing Christ. And this learning is more than just having the right answers. It's a relational, intimate knowledge of knowing who Jesus is, what he has done, and then a reorientation of your life in light of that reality. That's what it means to have learned Christ. And that verb in in the Greek is something that is true that happened in the past that has future implications on your life. So what that means is that, that when you learn Him, you continue to. It's ongoing. It's, it's transformative. It's not just, I figured it out and I can move on with my life. Rather, it is shaping forever. 21, assume that you've heard about Him and, and, and were taught in Him and, and as, as uh, the truth in Jesus. Again, what is that? what's going on there? Paul wrote this letter to a group of churches in Ephesus, and this letter was being passed around from church to church. So he didn't know these people personally. So he just assumed, right, that they know Jesus. He didn't know them personally and where their faith was. So he just assumed that they, that they knew Jesus. And it says, To put off your own self, which belongs to your former manner of life, uh, and is corrupt to deceitful desires, and be renewed, right? That, that word is, is crucial when we think about what it means to live as a transformed person. It's to be renewed. It's not to arrive at something. It's, it's, it's not that like, oh, I finally figured this out. I am new. It's no, it's to be renewed. It's continual. It's ongoing. It's a work that always is forever and moves onward, renewed. On the cross, Jesus paid for all these things that are listed on verses 17 to 19. Jesus nailed these things to the cross. So if you read that and say, whoo, that's me. Well, that's what Jesus does with your impulsivity. That's what Jesus does with your callousness. That's what Jesus does with your concrete hearts. He doesn't just dismiss you. He engages you and he, and he dies for you so that you can be changed and be transformed so that you can be free from those things that enslave you. It's like, it's like you're, you're rotting in a jail cell. You're, just, you're not dead yet, but you're dying and you're rotting and you stink and there's filth all over you. You're rotting in a jail cell and Jesus busts open the doors and says, you're free. And you get up and you walk out. Well, what happens when you walk out is, are you instantly clean? No, but you're free. And what renewed means, transformed means, is that over time, Jesus continues to work in you and clean you and create a new person from you. That's what that means to be renewed, to be transformed, to be put something on, it's to be changed. Living the transformed life among a transformed people. You know, the, the Christian life is not just an individualistic thing. Uh, you, you, know, you know the phrase, no man's an island, right? Uh, it says that we're no longer Gentiles and we're also no longer isolated. That you're part of a family, that you belong to a community of people called the church, a, tra- a people who are being transformed. And, and this is the, 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 the principle that leads to a practice, right? So the principle is this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We belong to one another. We belong to God's family. And just like our families, our own individual families have rules and traditions and standards of behavior, so does God's family. There's a, there's a way we are to live, right? Not so that we can become members of God's family, but because we are members of God's family. We're called to be a holy person, a devoted person, that we want to orient our lives around God. And we we do this as amongst a devoted people. And because of this, if we we belong to Christ, we know what that means? It means that you belong to one another, 
that you don't just exist for yourself, but you exist for the people sitting next to you. That there is, there is, a, there is something about you are not called to live in isolation, but you are to, to know one another and seek the good, the genuine good of one another. That because of you know me, hopefully there is something that I'm adding to your life that makes it better. That's how we're supposed to live and be for one another. And that practice is outlined in the next verses. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, right? There's a list of, of bees that, we'll, that, 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 he, that, he, um, that he lists out here that relates to how the bees change how we are to think of how we do we, right? These are all relational things. They're not just me and Jesus. They're, that our relationship with Jesus changes how we do life with one another and how we treat other people. To not be a people who display destructive anger towards one another, but that are honest with one another, that don't assume the worst, that seek to help me understand. There's a genuine curiosity in that if we have anger, right, it doesn't destroy relationship, but it actually works in such a way that cultivates relationship. Not a people who steal from one another, right? How anxious would a life be if you always had to worry about somebody taking something from you? Well, think about the reverse of that. How freeing is a life where you can just leave your stuff laying out, leave your door wide open, leave your keys in your car, and nobody ever takes anything? That's a pretty great community, if you ask me. That's trust, right? We can trust one another. Be people who work hard, right? Who contribute to the lives of one another, that whose vocation is meaningful, like I said, and the things that we do with our hands and our minds and our hearts benefit our neighbors. That's a, that's a good community. That's a good life. You'll not be a people who grieve God's spirit, as it said there, by, by grieving and ignoring God's word, but that we seek understanding as a people to know who is God and how has he instructed us to live. Not be envious or bitter towards one another. Imagine a word, world where you're not jealous of anyone and no one is jealous of you, that you're perfectly content with how God has created you, with what you look like, with your personality, with what you have. That's a pretty good life. That'd be a pretty great community to be a part of. We're called to be kind and forgiving, as it says there, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. We're called to live as a transformed people and this is how a transformed people, the aspirations of how our, our life and how we should treat other people and forgive as Christ forgave you. And this is not just an, a suggestion, but also too the fuel by which we do any of this is that we know how to be kind because we've experienced the kindness of God. We know how to forgive because we've experienced the forgiveness of God. We know how to live for eternity and die to impulsivity because we know who God is. We want to live in light of eternity and make decisions in light of our relationship with God that benefit one another here on earth, not take from one another here on earth. We only know how to do this when we know Christ. We cannot do these things first without knowing Christ. Everybody would love to be in a community like this. There's no theft, where there's genuine work, like there's no... You know, there's no unemployment or um, everybody has a meaningful job to do that contributes to the whole. Right? That's, a, that's a great community to be a part of. But you can't do that on your own. You can only do that 
by being transformed in Christ and then living a life transformed through Christ. I'll close with this. I worked at Disney one summer. Um, I was not goofy. Uh, that is not me, by the way. Uh, no. All right, so I worked at Disney. So I was a, they called themselves a cast member, right? I was a cast member at Disney one summer. Uh, you know, there was a lot of great things that you could be. You could be goofy. You could be like the Lion King people, and you could be Buzz Lightyear. I made pretzels uh, in a concession stand. I was not glamorous, right? Thank you. Right, I literally, I, I worked in the, in the wide world of sports, which isn't even a park. It's a, it's a, it's a place that has lots of tournaments. And they have a, a minor league stadium there that had like the pretzel maker. So I literally would make hundreds of pretzels every day and run them out to the concession stands. So that's what I did. So it's not that glamorous. But, but um, I don't know if you can see it, uh, but underneath here it says Disney, right? Will your dreams come true? And, and this Walt Disney quote says, you can, this is about Disney World. You can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people to make that dream a reality. So as a, as a cast member, right, my job was to make the customer, even though I, I just sat and made pretzels, so it really wasn't what I did, but what, if you were like you know, somebody special, like Mickey or a princess, it was your job to make the customer, the kid, feel like they were part of a Disney movie. So when they came to Cinderella Castle, it's like they were in, they were in the story, right? And it was and and that's why they called each other's that's why they called each other's cast members, right? And not like workers. You, you get you get the point, right? So so you know uh, and and you knew you were and if you've been to Disney, you experienced this. So how many of you been to Disney? A lot of people. So so you probably experienced this, right? Uh, but you knew you were in Disney because you were in Disney, right? You the cast members played their part. And it felt like you just walked into a Disney movie or a Disney story, right? And you're a part of the story. When it comes to God's people, and when, and when, when, when somebody, were, if they were to walk into this community, or they were to walk into your churches, like somebody were to walk into Disney, how would they know that you are a Christian, or that this is the church? John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. People should know they were in God's house, that they are with God people, not by the costumes we wear or the fairy tales that we, 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 we make up that, that invite people to be a part of, but how you treat one another. Your character, how you treat one another. And this command isn't just for, for parents, right, or pastors, or for them, but it's for you guys. When people come, if you're in a Christian school, if people come into your school, would you be any different? Would you treat people any differently, right? Or do they just experience the same thing everywhere else? If you go to a non-Christian school, you've got a group of Christian friends, and somebody who is not a Christian, if they interact with you, would they be able to tell there's something different about this group of people by the way that they treat one another? by the way that they forgive one another, by the way that they're kind to one another, by the way that they don't, they don't love the same things that I love, but they're, they're not quick to, to, for, to greed and impulsivity or whatever it may be. Can, can people tell a difference? Because they should, right? We're called to be more than chameleons. We're called to do more than wear the jersey. And we're called more to be the whatever, what was the last one I said? Jesus, Jesus is my personal trainer, whatever I'm trying to get by that, but you get it, right? So, so the big question is, is, how are you loving people as Jesus loved you? I mean, that is the central ethic. 
The central, what does it mean to live the Christian life? What is a Christian like? Love. All of Ephesians 4 is summarized with love. And that's the challenge that I want to put before you is, how are you loving people differently? Can people see Jesus by the way that you treat one another? Because they should. And if they don't, you're doing a lot of harm, not just to yourself, but to the name of God. Let me pray, and then we'll break out to our small groups. Father, thank you again for this challenging word to us. Help us to live a transformed life among a transformed people, that we would, we would be so involved in your love for us that we would love other people well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.